Okay, let me just get this posted here. Okay, sorry, I had to just go post something. Um, you're gonna see in about a minute, there's going to be a, a post, a link uh, for a handout uh, for everyone that's out there online. And um, so just if you can open it up, it's Dropbox, if you can just go ahead and open it up and then from there, you'll be able to uh, print up or see on, on your computer um, there's three pages to a handout. Okay, and here's for you a handout. Okay. Okay, it's great to be back. I was not here for, wow, a month. I was out of town. So uh, it's great to be back with all of you. And uh, today's nightly co-sponsors is um, Malka Musa Musayev, Le'ilu Nishmat for Eliezer Ben Bela Brocha, Zichrona Levracha. And then the Bodlochaim Tev Maruchim Zivuk for Ziva Bat Bella Brocha, Ella Rochel Bat Larissa, Elazar Ben Margarita, and uh, a blessing for children for Malka Bat Bella Brocha and uh, Sholom Ben Beller. And for the Rafu Shlema of Menachem Mendel Ben Sora Batya and Devora Fega Bat Razel. Okay. Okay, so again, people, please, everyone out there, um, just go ahead and um, click on the link that there is in the notes. There should be a link there, and you'll be able to get the, um, the handout, okay? It's uh, three pages. It's from my Dropbox. You'll get a link. You just open it up. Okay, today's, uh, today's class, the title is Modern Issue to, uh, I'm sorry, The Gift, A Deeper Look into Prayer. So um, just that you know, the way we work in this class uh, is we always pick a modern day issue. Then from there, we'll dive into a Hasidic discourse from the Rebbe, discuss it on a mystical level, and then bring it back home. Okay? Okay, so what's the modern day issue? The modern day issue is very simple. Is prayer more than just a placebo? What is the truth about prayer? Is it a placebo, which translates as the power of the mind of the person prayed for? It's a placebo, which really means that it's the power of the mind, the faith, the belief that helps the immune system and helps recover. Or does it carry divine powers? Um, in preparation for this class, I did a search on medical researches on the healing power of prayer, not just for the person praying, but even prayers for a third party who is not aware of the prayers being offered on his behalf, and of course, the research has conflicting outcomes. Well, I guess that that is the most uh, a rabbi could ask for from a field which has attacked anything spiritual, all the more anything religious for centuries. But interesting that now there is a branch in science which is finding that even if someone did not know that they're being prayed for, uh, prayer does help. Um, this lecture is not going to be about the medical approach, but a mystical approach in a practical manner. This lecture is based upon a mimer um, delivered by the Rebbe in 1965, exploring the power of prayers. 
So let's first see how we get to prayers in this week's Torah portion. So in this week's Torah portion, there's a verse that says, and he took from that which came into his hand a gift for his brother Esau. So let's talk about what's going on here. In this week's Torah portion, it begins with Jacob meeting Esau. The last time they were together was 21 years ago at the time when Jacob stole the blessings from his father Isaac that Isaac had intended to give to Esau. When Esau found out about this, he actually vowed to kill his brother in revenge. His mother, their mother, Rebecca, finds out. Rebecca goes ahead. Rivka tells the uh, Jacob she arranges through her husband Isaac that Jacob should be sent away to the um, to her brother Lavan, and he should wait there until the time subsided. If you add up the real mathematics, I said 21 years, it's actually more than 21 years because he made a pit stop for 14 years in the house of study of Noah's grandson, Aver. And um, so it's 14 plus 21 years later that Jacob is now coming back with his wife and 11 of his children. And Esau is coming to greet him with 400 men, soldiers. To fulfill the vow he made to kill um, Jacob. So what happens here? Jacob goes ahead and he tries three different things to make sure that everything will work out okay. One of those things is which we're going to talk about tonight and that is that he sent a huge amount of gifts, herds upon herds of different animals and the Torah lists exactly how much. Kabbalah and Hasidus want to know why. Why did Jacob send these gifts to Esau? What is the spiritual secret behind sending Esau these gifts? Simply speaking, he did it hoping to appease him. But from a Kabbalistic uh, point of view, Jacob is always taking care of things on a spiritual level. What was going on here with the gift? Number two, additionally, they want to know that if Jacob was accomplishing a mystical secret, then why was Jacob using non-kosher species of animals, such as donkeys, so forth and so on? If he's accomplishing something on a mystical level, it should have been only with kosher animals. So one, why is Jacob sending gifts to Esau on a spiritual level? And two, being that it is on a spiritual level, why is he sending non-kosher species? Okay? So now, let's get into a little bit of the mysticism of this verse. So it says that Jacob took from what came into his hand a gift for his brother. The word that he uses for gift is the word mincha. Okay, he doesn't use the word matana, which means gifts. He uses a specific word mincha. What is the word mincha? The word mincha is used in the Torah portion, the book of Leviticus, when we talk about sacrifices. The mincha, the karban mincha, is the gift offering. Okay, now, our sages teach us that generally speaking, our prayers take the place of the sacrifices we used to bring in the Holy Temple. Tfilot, our prayers, our bimakom, are in the place of the sacrifices. So, therefore, if the sacrifices are called mincha, then we're going to say that all the prayers are also called mincha. 
Now before we get into this, which specific prayer, we're going to talk about right now that all the prayers are called mincha because of sacrifices are called mincha and prayers take the place of sacrifices. So first we want to get into the mystical reason of why a prayer is called mincha. For that, this is not yet in the handout, but for that I'm going to share with you what the word mincha is in Hebrew. Mincha in Hebrew is made up of four letters. Mem nun, then there's a chet, and then there's a hey. Mincha. So we want to talk about what this means on a Kabbalistic level. Mem nun is a Kabbalistic acronym, which stands for two words. Mayim nukvin. It's Aramaic. Kabbalah is written in Aramaic. Mayim nukvin means feminine waters. What exactly does it mean, feminine waters? So I want to give a, a very basic understanding why Kabbalah talks up so much about men, women, and uh, consummation. In the world of Kabbalah and Hasidus, divine sustenance and influences come about through the union of two dimensions. What makes a flow from the spiritual into the physical, a sustenance from the spiritual into a lower spiritual, is always about union. If you ever look in Sephardic Sidurim, the Sephardic prayer books, you'll notice very often that when they write God's name, they have big letters and in that is small letters. Different names of God refer to different manifestations, different emanations, and by bringing it together, they're creating a union, which is a flow. Let's talk about how that works, okay? So when you take six sides, six sides, of course, represents the six male emotions of the ten emanations. There's three intellects, six male, and one female. Now, when you take six different directions and you bring them together to make a three-dimensional box, do you know what ends up happening? Hello. Here's a handout that we're going to use soon, okay? So when you go ahead and you create from six walls a three-dimensional box, did you ever count how many corners you have? You're going to count the corners to a three-dimensional box and you're going to come up with 12. Let's do this. There's four along the top, there's four along the bottom, and there's the four that are vertical. That is the secret of the 12 tribes. Why? There is no such thing as a corner. A corner is when two straight lines meet. Which means a corner is made out of a union of two, two dimensions. So what happens now? What happens is that in Kabbalah, these corners is the power of the downflow of divinity into a lower world. Now you know why Jacob had 12 sons, because the three forefathers, our patriarchs and our matriarchs, they lived in the spiritual dimension. The job of their offspring, namely the 12 tribes, was to bring it down into the physical world. Their spiritual realm of reality the influence needs to be brought into the physical world. So what I'm trying to share with you here is very simple. The way there's an influence or something that is drawn, a sustenance, a divinity flow, a light from a higher world to a lower world can only happen when there's a union between two emanations, which creates a corner and that corner is, so to speak, a slide down for sustenance. That's how Kabbalah explains this. That's why with all the intentions that's mentioned in the great Ari 
and all the Kabbalistic intentions to prayer is also called Yichudim, unifications, bringing together different emanations to create corners, to create a sustenance flow into the lower realm. Now, because we now know everything has to go through union, therefore you have masculine and feminine. The masculine represents the higher world, the giver. The feminine receives the recipient. It, it, it refers to the recipient, the receiver. Thus, in our relationship with God, God is the husband and we are his wife. In the relationship between the highest spiritual world and the second spiritual world, the higher world is the masculine giver, the lower world is the feminine receiver. If you go now to the next layer, then the world number two is the giver, world number three is the receiver, until you have the physical world, which is the receiver. So when we talk about feminine waters, we're talking about the recipient. Now, why is it called feminine waters? And the answer is very simple. The answer is that when something comes from above to below, it's called masculine waters. But if the arousal and the interest and the solicitation came from below to above, it's called feminine waters. Just to give an example, when a Jew studies Torah, it's masculine waters. The Torah is not our product, it's God's product given to us. Thus, in our union with God through Torah study, it's us receiving masculine waters. So much so that the verse says about studying Torah that God, we answer back God's words which He placed on our tongue. So the words of Torah is masculine waters. The union, the connection is taking place by God giving us on Mount Sinai the Torah and we're receiving it. What about prayer? Prayer is feminine waters. Prayer is us from below reaching up, identifying God as our sole provider, our ultimate sole provider. It's only by the blessings of God that we receive anything. And thus what happens when we're praying? We are reaching up to God. It's not the words of the Torah, it's actually our words. We are talking to God about our needs. Thus that's the feminine waters. Now you understand why the word for prayer, mincha, starts with mem nun, which stands for feminine waters. Mayim nukfin, because that's the power of prayer. Now, we need to talk about one more thing. The next letter in the word mincha, which means prayers, is chet. What's the numerical value of chet? It's the eighth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and the numerical value is eight. So now I want to just share with you what that means. For this, please take out the first page of your handout. Let's talk about this quickly. The Jewish people did, they created the sin, they created the golden calf. Moses comes down, breaks the tablets, destroys the golden calf, and then needs to go back up to God to pray that God's anger not wipe out the Jewish people. One of the responses, is a whole dialogue there, one of the responses that God gives, the Talmud tells us that God wrapped himself in a talit, whatever a divine 
talit manifestation means, and he said the 13 attributes of mercy. God then told Moses that whenever this thir these 13 attributes of mercy are used in prayer, God commits that they will never come back empty-handed. Thus you will find in our most in our most important prayers, we always have the 13 attributes of mercy. We have it in the Slichot, we have it in our high holidays, and in Yom Kippur we use it numerous times. Okay? Now, you'll see the actual verse of the 13 attributes on the top of the page. Okay? The Lord passed before him, meaning Moses, and proclaimed, Lord, Lord, benevolent God, who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth, preserving loving kindness for thousands, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, and he pardons. Little problem. I just read more than 13 verses, 13 words. So which are the 13 attributes? How do we divide this verse into 13? So there's different opinions. I'm going to follow the Kabbalah opinion, which is the bottom of the page. Do you see how I listed all of them? You'll notice that number eight is underlined and in bold. Why? Because mincha, feminine waters of prayer, reach into the eighth of the 13 attributes. What's important about that? So in Kabbalah, number seven represents nat nature. Number eight represents the transcendence over nature. So let's talk about this. How many days did God create the world in? Seven. How many years are there to a sabbatical cycle? Seven. How many sabbatical cycles are there to a jubilee? Seven. Which, which, uh, which emanations did God use to create the world? Not the three intellects, but the seven emotions. So nature, the infinite light of creating nature and sustaining nature, is defined by the number seven. Number eight in Kabbalah transcends. Number eight represents the Shomer HaHekef, the guardian of nature, which in other words talks about God which transcends beyond nature. So now we understand that Mayin Nukvin, feminine waters, prayer service, which comes from below to above, not from above to below, it reaches into beyond the infinite light. It reaches into the source. Now let's talk about that for a moment, okay? Why is prayer so powerful? Why does everything else reach only into the infinite light? And why does prayer go deeper than that? The answer is from a verse. The verse says, and I'll read it to you right here. The verse states, it's in, a, it's in the book of Eov, Job. You desire the work of your hands. So let's understand what this means. God is not, his desire does not lie in the perfection of the work of above. God's ultimate desire is in the preciousness of the imperfect world from below. And the reason is very simple. Angels don't have freedom of choice because they don't have an evil inclination. They only have one heart. 
Only by the human does God say, and you shall love God with all your heart, Levavecha, two vets. So we have freedom of choice. Yes, what we do is imperfect, but what we do is precious. Thus, God's desire is not within the perfection of that which comes from above, but rather from the imperfection that comes from below. Thus, this reaches into the eighth attribute. We're going to explain this a little more. But first, I want to talk about the last letter of the word mincha. So we had mem nun, feminine waters, chet, the eighth transcendence of the eighth attribute. And now we have the hey. What does the letter hey represent? The letter hey represents the last letter of God's ineffable tetragrammaton. You have the yud, the hey, the vav, the hey. Now, what does that mean? In Kabbalah, the first three letters are all about spirituality, all about the giver. The last letter hey is about the receiver. The last letter hey is what brings sustenance down to the lowest level, the physical. Now let's talk about prayer. What do we pray for? Most often we pray for physical needs. That's actually the law. The law is that you have to pray for your physical needs. So what are we praying? Let's talk about this for a moment. We are praying for God to change His will. Why? If someone is sick, God forbid, then obviously it's God's will they should be sick. If someone is poor, God forbid, it's obviously God's will they should be poor. Now what are we praying for? We're praying for the sick to physically become healthy, the poor to physically become rich. We're asking God to change his mind, to change his will. Now here is what's interesting. If we only reached into the infinite light, which is the will, the will can't change itself. It's already predefined. In order to change the will, what do we have to do? We have to connect to the master of the will. Therefore, the most dominant prayers start with which two words, which three words? May it be your will before you. In other words, God has, as of right now, one will. For whatever reason, this person is sick. For whatever reason, this person is poor. For whatever reason, this person can't find his uh, significant other, his spouse. For whatever reason, this couple can't have kids. If it's happening, it's the will of God. What does prayer do for us? What prayer does for us is, it doesn't connect us to the will of God, because the will of God can't change itself. It's that's on milfanecha, before you. We are connecting to the master of the will, who can will any way he wants. As the saying goes, who will tell you God, what you should do and what you should accomplish. Thus prayer, because it's from below to above, therefore it connects with the deepest desire of God, therefore it transcends beyond the infinite light, i.e. the will, the first seven attributes of mercy, it goes into the eighth attribute of mercy, which is transcendence, which is the master of the will, which is the essence of God. Thus we understand now the very big power of prayer. And why are we talking about this again? Because the word that the verse uses when it talks about Jacob sending gifts 
to Esau. It uses the word mincha, not the word matana. Mincha refers to sacrifices. Mincha refers to prayers. So far, so good. Now, let's go ahead and begin the lecture. This was all the introduction. Now, let's talk about the lecture. The first thing we're going to do, I'm going to give you a list of what mystical things we're going to talk about. We're going to go through it. Number one, mincha services versus shacharit and mariv services. You know we pray three times a day. In the morning we pray shacharit. In the middle of the day, the afternoon, we pray mincha. And at night we pray mariv. The second thing we're going to talk about is sacrifices versus incense. In the holy temple, in Jerusalem... They used to bring sacrifices, but then there was something special called incense. The next thing we're going to talk about is the mystical concept of food versus smell. The next mystical concept we're going to talk about after that, number four is, in Kabbalah, what is the difference between the right nostril and the left nostril of your nose? You know, in meditation, those who are very high in, pre in breathing techniques... They actually say they can breathe from one, they can choose which nostril they breathe through. In Kabbalah, that's a huge thing, the difference between the right nostril and the left nostril. The last thing we're going to talk about is Jacob and Esau in order to explain why he sent him a mincha gift and why he sent him in that mincha gift non-kosher animals. And now, let the amazement of Hasidus begin. Mincha services versus shacharit and mariv. Do you know what the word shacharit means? Morning. What does the word ma'ariv mean? Evening. And why do we call the prayers that way? Because shacharit is morning services. Ma'ariv is evening services. And what is mincha? Afternoon services. What should mincha have been called then? The word for afternoon is tzaharayim. After tzaharayim. Tzaharayim, yeah. Achat So why is it called mincha? Thus we must say that everything we just spoke about the feminine waters, the eighth attribute, and the last letter, hey, all of that specifically belongs to the afternoon prayers more than the morning prayer and the night prayer. And thus, tradition has a specifically calling only that prayer by the specific name, Mincha. Where do we see that Mincha is a very special prayer? So we're going to take you to the Talmud in Brachot, which says as follows. Rabbi Chilba said in the name of Rav Huna, a man should always take special care about the afternoon prayer, for even Elijah the prophet was favorably heard only while offering his afternoon prayer. I'm going to ask you to now take out your second page. I have copy-pasted here. For you to read the entire episode that happened between Elijah and the false prophets of the idol called Baal on Mount Carmel. I will tell you a story briefly and if you see I underlined, italic and put in bold the sentences that we need to know for today. But to tell you the long story short, many of the Jewish people slipped into serving not only God but also the Baal. Elijah was summoned to take care of this. Elijah makes a showdown. And he begins off by telling the Jewish people, you know what? Pick a side. Don't pray 
Shabbos in Shul and Sunday in the Baal Church. If you believe in God, believe totally in God. If you believe in the Baal, believe totally in the Baal. That's what he tells the Jewish people. And then he says, gather for me. And he says over there, a huge amount of priests, um, 400. 400 priests of the Baal. And he says, this is what we're going to do. You're going to build an altar. You're going to put on a sacrifice. And we'll do everything the way we're supposed to do it, a sacrifice. One thing we won't do. We won't start a fire. If the Baal is right and true, let the Baal send down a fire to consume your sacrifice. However, if God is true, then let God send down upon my altar a fire to consume the sacrifice. And he told the Baal, you guys go first. And they tried, and they tried, and they tried, and it didn't work. Then he says, now it's his turn. And he tells them to pour water onto the altar. So you shouldn't think that I have any tricks with a spark hidden there. Saturate it with water. And then he begins to pray. Now look at the line that I underlined in bold. And it was when the mincha sacrifice. It was only the time of the mincha. Ba'alot ha-mincha. And then what happens then? It was only then, read the next line. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones and the earth and the water which was in the trench. It licked up and all the people sore and fell on their faces and they said, the Lord is our God, the Lord is God. So what do we see? That Elijah the prophet was only answered by mincha time. Thus we see that amongst all three prayers, which is the ultimate mincha, which is the ultimate feminine waters, which fulfills the desire of God and the pleasure of God and thus takes us beyond the will into the master of the will, beyond the infinite light into the essence source and brings it down physically is Mincha. Okay, now to understand why is Mincha special? I told you a clear story in the book of Kings that says Elijah the prophet was only answered by Mincha. I quoted to you upon this book of Kings the teaching of the Talmud in Brachot, page 6, side B. And what does it say there? Be careful with the prayer of Mincha because that's the powerful one. By the way, just that you know, it's the shortest one, but it's the most powerful one. Now, excuse me. To understand that, we're going to need to quote an, a legal opinion. I told you that prayer takes the place of sacrifices, right? That's what I quoted to you. Tefillah, right? Now, to be more precise, there's a legal opinion that says that the morning prayer and the evening prayer is about sacrifices. The mincha prayer, the afternoon prayer, is about incense. So you know that they brought incense in the holy temple. Now here is something very interesting. I want to tell you two facts that separate sacrifices from incense. Number one, sacrifices can only be brought from a kosher species of animals. You cannot bring a donkey as a sacrifice. You can only bring a kosher species. Now let's talk about the incense. Please turn to the last page of the handout. One of the 11 different incenses, one of the 11 different spices used 
to make up the holy incense is something called mor. There is an argument amongst our sages what mor was. One says, and I'll read it to you, mir is a gum resin produced by trees and shrubs of the family, and it lists you the scientific name for the tree. I'm going to show it here to everyone that's watching online. That is the mir tree. That's one opinion. According to that opinion, we have no problem. It's kosher. However, a huge amount of opinions and mentioned consistently in Kabbalah and Hasidus, the mir is the musk deer. Right there you see the picture online, the musk deer. Now, the musk deer is not a kosher animal. And the one opinion is that the spice, the fragrance, is actually extracted from the blood of the mir, uh, of the moor, which is the musk animal. Now here comes a huge question. How can you have a service in the holy temple made of a non-kosher species? Let me get the question a little bigger for you. What is the most important service of the entire Yom Kippur day? The holiest day of the Jewish year. Bringing incense, not into the holy temple, but into the holy of holies of the holy temple. You go there only one day a year, only the high priest, and only to bring incense. And you're going to tell me that one of these incense came from a non-kosher species? How can that be? And yet it was. We need to understand this. Okay? To understand this, we're going to talk about something else. Another difference. When you talk about sacrifices, what is it called in the, in the verses? It's called, let me read to you the verse from the book of Numbers, Parshat Pinchas, which talks about the sacrifices. My offering, my food for my fire offerings. Lechem Ishai. Now, what is incense? Incense was not food. Incense is only what? Fragrance, smell. What's the difference between food and smell? So let's look about it. You're exhausted, a long day of work. You're totally depleted from energy, you feel weak. What are you gonna do? You're gonna eat. And what does food do? Food, because of, on a spiritual level, because of the godly spark in the food, on a physical level, a scientific level, because of the nutrients, what does it do? It reconnects and rejuvenates the life force from the soul to the body. And thus, after eating, ah, okay, I have my energy back. What happens if someone faints or if someone collapses from fatigue? What do you use to bring them back? You use smelling salt. Right? You put it under the nose. That means that when it's not just about rejuvenation, but when it's about reaching deep into bringing, drawing a new life force back, you have to use smell, not food. Now we understand the difference between the sacrifice and the incense. Okay? So sacrifice is going to be what we're going to call the infinite light. It's the life sustenance of the soul to the body, which needs to be rejuvenated. However, smell is at a point of faint, at a point of collapse of fatigue. 
You use smell because it's not enough to rejuvenate. You actually have to reach into the depths of the essence of the soul and bring down a new, a new life force. Thus you see the difference between the sacrifices represents food, represents the infinite light, represents the will of God, while incense, which is all about Yom Kippur, which is all about repentance, Teshuvah, goes beyond the will of God into the master of the will, into the essence, and from there it makes a change. However, we have a problem. What is a problem? The problem is I only quoted to you a half a verse from Numbers. I read to you the half a verse that says, my offering, my food for my fire offerings. Now, let's go ahead and read the second half of the verse. A fragrance of satisfaction for me. Reach nechoach. Whoa, one second. That means that sacrifices are called food and fragrance. Incense is called only fragrance. So why are we saying that incense is greater than sacrifice? Why are we saying that the morning and evening prayer is sacrifices and that's not as powerful as mincha, which is the ultimate power? So for a moment I want to just call a time out and I want to share with you. Do you know why mincha is the most powerful prayer? When do we daven shacharit? In the morning before you go to work. When do we daven ma'ariv? At night, after you come home from work, right? When do we daven mincha? Smack in the middle of the day. So if you want to talk about what is so precious to God that the imperfect human stops his self-efficient, self-reliant, I'm working right now, don't bother me. No, he stops and he talks to God. That's why mincha is more powerful than the morning and the evening. With this said, we said that the morning and the evening is like sacrifices, while mincha, the afternoon prayer, is like the incense which is greater because it smell. But one second, the verse in, in Numbers in Parshat Pinchas says sacrifices are also smell, smell and food. To understand this, I need to quote to you an interesting piece in the Zohar, volume 3. In the Zohar, volume 3, page 130, side B. Was it 130 or 131? One, oh, okay, it's 103. Oops, sorry. No, I think it was 130. That's a typo. B. It's Koflamen. I have to correct that. It says there like this. The two nostrils of the nose. The right is life. The left is life of life. Very interesting here. And I want to make note of this. Normally we talk about the right being greater than the left, right? Here we're saying in the nostrils of your nose, the left is greater than the right. This is called life and this is called life of life. So I want to share with you my thoughts on that. And that is, it comes from a, a verse in the book of songs. It says like this, his left hand was under my head and his right hand would embrace me. An embrace, a hug, is at what height? Chest height, right? When you embrace someone. You put your hands around the, his, his, his chest, you put it around the, one, uh, one over the arm, one under the arm, that's an embrace. So the right hand only reaches to the embrace level. The left hand reaches to where? To the head. Again, the same thing. Higher. Especially when we're talking about teshuvah, which is about the repentance of the unkosher. 
especially when we're talking about the incense, which is the power of Teshuvah, which has a non-kosher species that's being transformed. So I don't want it to be a big question why here the left represents greater than the right. But what's important for us is that the right nostril is this fragrance of sacrifices and the left nostril is the fragrance of the incense. Now to understand this, the food has smell and it's also a very important part of digestion. You'll notice that when you have a cold and your nose is stuffed, you don't taste the food. It's a different process. So when we talk about the sacrifice having fragrance, Kabbalah is going to define that not as the fragrance of spice, but rather as the fragrance of food, which is all part of the rejuvenation of the life force of the soul to the body. When we talk about the incense, which is the left nostril, here we're talking about the life of life. So let's put this together. Now we're saying that incense, which is the afternoon prayer called Mincha, is the ultimate water, feminine waters, that reaches into the eighth transcendence attribute, which brings it down into the last letter of God's name, which makes a physical change. Why? Because we're talking about the incense of Yom Kippur. We're talking about the ultimate feminine waters. We're talking about the service in the middle of your working day. You tell the entire world, excuse me, I need to now spend a moment with God. That preciousness from below to above, the feminine waters, that's what connects us to the left nostril, to the eighth transcendence attribute of mercy and makes a physical difference in this world because now we're not praying about the will of God, we're praying to the master of the will who can do as he wishes, when he wishes. Thus the power of prayer is specifically in the mincha. With this being said, we need to talk about Jacob and Esau. The last point before we go into closing. Jacob and Esau represent two spiritual worlds. In Kabbalah, Jacob re represents the orderly world of Tikkun. Esau represents the chaotic and tumultuous world of Tohu. Now when we talk about these two worlds, Tikkun and Tohu, Tohu is actually higher than Tikkun. Tohu is actually, the light of Tohu is far greater and intense in quality than Tikkun. By the way, not in my notes, but parenthetically speaking, I want to share with you something. According to Kabbalah, the food chain is backwards. You can't have the higher living off the lower. So how can humans live off animals which live off plants which live off the inanimate minerals of the ground? It's got to be the opposite. You know, in the chaotic world that we live in, the bigger swallow the smaller. But in Kabbalah, how can the bigger feed the smaller? I'm sorry, how can the smaller feed the bigger? The bigger is more powerful than the smaller. So why are we receiving our sustenance from the animal? And the answer is because the animal kingdom, anything beneath the man, beneath human, comes from the chaotic world of Tohu. That's where the fallen sparks are. Thus, because Tohu is more powerful than Tikkun, it makes sense, the food chain. Tikkun is eating from Tohu. That makes sense. 
Now we can understand what Jacob was doing. Jacob wasn't dealing with the physical Esau down here just. He was dealing with the source of Esau. If you remember, the Rashi tells us that Jacob prayed, I don't want to be killed and I don't want to kill. Jacob wanted transformation. He wanted to have brotherly love with Esau. And thus, what does he do? He sends Mincha, feminine waters, into beyond his source of Tikkun, into Tohu, beyond the normalcy and the orderliness of the of the infinite light into the master of the will and what does he send there he doesn't just send kosher animals because that which is goes into the essence from the essence perspective all comes to exist kosher and non-kosher left and right thus because Jacob wants to reach into that he does a mincha service what is the mincha service the ultimate feminine waters that reaches up into the eighth, not the seven of Tikkun, but the eighth of Tohu. He reaches into the infinite essence, which is beyond the infinite will. And over there, he's trying to make a transformation in Asaph. Now it makes sense what's going on. Sacrifices is all about fortifying Tikkun. It has to all be kosher animals. It's the infinite will. The will of God only forms in kosher. However, Jacob wasn't trying to fortify Tikkun. He was reaching above him into Tohu. Tohu is the infinite chaotic light where everything is equally naught. Over there you have kosher and non-kosher. The non-kosher is the deeply fallen sparks of Tohu into our world. Thus, for Jacob to reach there, he can't do a morning service or an evening service. He has to do the afternoon service, which is the ultimate feminine waters, which creates the ultimate desire and pleasure of, from, from God for the preciousness of our freedom of choice serving God. Smack in the middle of the chaos of Wall Street Day. And through that, He's arousing even the evil side of Esau, even the non-kosher side for transformation. And what is Esau's response? The verse says, and Esau asks, let me read it to you. The first response is, and he, Esau said, what is to you the purpose of all this camp that I have met? And he, Jacob said, to find favor in my master's eyes. Jacob from Tikkun was reaching to find favor in the eyes of Tohu in order to do an ultimate transformation, not only of the kosher species, of the goodness in Esau, but also the non-kosher species, the non-goodness in Esau. And what is Esau's reaction? Do you remember? Esau ran toward him and embraced him, and he fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Mission accomplished. All because of the power of prayer. Which prayer? The ultimate prayer of Mincha, smack in the middle of the day. Feminine waters, imperfect but precious. Reaching into the master of the will, which can change the will and make it happen physically. In closing, let us return to our opening modern day issue of prayer. 
Prayer isn't about our power to transcend ailment and poverty because of our perfect service to God. No. Prayer connects us with the master of the will only because of how precious our human imperfect service is to God. The power of prayer is to get beyond our ego, to break free for a moment from our self-centered self-reliance and to humbly turn to God. That is all it takes to connect with the left nostril, life of life power of the eighth attribute, rising up to a face-to-face -face relationship with the essence of God. And that's where physical changes happen. Thank you.